Great to be here. Always a pleasure to come and speak to you. I'm from a pretend church that doesn't meet in August, so uh, what better am I going to do when I've got a month off than come and preach the word somewhere else, right? So uh, I'm joking, we're a real church, promise. Uh, We're the Rock and Redeemer Vineyard Church and uh, we bring greetings from wherever we are. Some of our people are dotted around here, but they're being very inconspicuous. So uh, let's, uh, why don't you grab your Bibles? Let's open up John chapter 15. We're going to read verses 1 to 11. John 15, 1 to 11. It says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear even more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot fully bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning from wherever we're at. God, we want to come and we want to receive the food from your holy word. We want to come hungry. Would you come? Would you meet us? Would you satisfy us? Father, may uh, the words that I speak be your words to your church this morning. Would you give us ears to receive and to hear what you would say to us? and hearts prepared to respond. In your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, if I was to ask anyone here, what is the chief end of man? I wonder if anyone would have a response for me. Go for it. Come on, Steve, you know this one. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. It's to the uh, Anglican Shorter Westminster Catechism says... What is the chief end of man? And the answer is uh, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Clearly you're far too evangelical to know the answer to that one. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I suggest potentially the most, well I would say the most primary and urgent question of every single human being's life is why am I here? Why am I here? It's a question that until we face it, whether we know it or not, we are actually living in blissful ignorance. We're not really wrestling with the deep things of life. Whatever response we have to the question, it is a question that indeed we must face. And the Christian response is the reason we are here is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Everything that God 
has created is for that purpose, is to bring him glory. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they proclaim knowledge. I wonder if you've ever seen the sky at night just as the, uh, as the sun's going down and you know when the, the sky catches fire and your whole the panorama is incredible and you just see this orange fire in front of your eyes and it is stunning and you, literally whether you believe in God or you believe, whatever you believe or have no belief, you can't not be moved, you can't not have your mouth open and just say wow, right? That's what the psalmist is talking about here. He's saying that the, the glory of creation speaks to something of what the creator is like. That the beauty we see in creation tells us of the beauty and the majesty and the splendor of the one who created the very thing that we are in awe of. And in this passage from John 15 that we just read, uh, we, we uh, catch up to the story of Jesus' life. It's what's called the farewell discourse, verse, uh, chapters 14 to 18. Uh, of John, uh, just one long discourse of Jesus uh, speaking to his disciples. It seems from the reading that they've left the upper room. So Jesus has washed his disciples' feet. Uh, He has taken the Last Supper with them. Judas has said it in his heart to betray Jesus. Jesus has told Peter that he's going to deny him three times. Uh, A lot of the disciples have shown that after three years, they're still not quite getting what's going on which is easy to look at and to say, are you idiots? But actually, I've been walking with Jesus for over 20 years, and I'm pretty sure I'm in the same space. So so go easy on them. And we find ourselves at this time, it seems like uh, they've left the upper room, and and the inference from the text is that they're actually walking uh, somewhere, that they're moving. And as they're walking, Jesus is talking to them. And in this moment, Jesus is anticipating the cross, Uh, He knows what's ahead of him now. It was for the joy set before him that he set himself towards the cross. He knows what's coming, and he chooses in this moment, if I could suggest, you know, potentially he could say anything. What's the fundamental thing he wants his disciples to get before he leaves? And he says this, he says, think of it this way. I am like a vine. The Father is like a vine dresser who takes care of the vine, who prunes the vine, who is responsible for its growth and its well-being. I am that vine. And you, you're like the branches off the vine. That's what he chooses uh, to uh, liken it to. And earlier in John 14, Jesus tells them, he says, it's actually better for you that I go to the cross. And like us, (laughs) they were probably like, what? No, I think you've got that wrong, Jesus. That cannot be. And he says, no, no, it's better for you that I go so that the helper can come. The spirit who leads us into all truth can come. The Holy Spirit will come and be with us now. So Jesus has gone back to the Father, but the Holy Spirit he leaves with us. That the spirit that confirms Jesus to us, the spirit that speaks, that spirit that proclaims the glory of God abroad to the world. And you see there the picture of the Trinity. You've got the vine dresser. You've got God the Father taking care of the vine, Jesus, the eternal vine. He knows he's headed to the cross and he still chooses to identify himself 
as a vine, as a living vine. He recognizes that actually this is for God's glory, the cross, and that he is not going to die. Death has no claim on him. He is the living one. And then the Holy Spirit uh, comes attending to us through the word. We see the picture of the Trinity there. And Jesus knows it's about to get rough for the disciples. They're about to face a lot of stuff. He's already, you've seen, the disciples have seen their friend Judas walk away, desert them like the branch that's cut off. They've seen, uh, Peter knows, he's been told he's going to deny Jesus. Something horrendous that he says, swears will never happen. And of course, as we know in hindsight, it does happen. And they sh- they've shown that they're struggling to come to grips with really anything that Jesus has been telling them in three years in some ways. And Jesus is saying, it's going to get painful, it's going to get rough, but trust in me, remain in me, remain in the vine. We cannot bear any fruit if we choose to detach from the vine. If we are not in the vine, we can do things, we can achieve things, but it is not fruit if it is not where we are in the vine and Jesus tells the disciples stay in me if you're to bear fruit stay in me in the vine and he tells us stay in the vine remain in me abide in me and when we read in verse 8 he says that our fruitfulness is the very thing that brings glory to God so the question what is the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever well how do we do that is the question that is then begged And the answer is, is in our fruitfulness. And the fruitfulness comes from remaining in the vine. We cannot bear fruit unless we do that. And it seems to me that a lot of Christians go in one of two directions on this way. Either they set their mind to remaining, remaining, I'm going to remain, I'm going to do some things, I'm going to bear some fruit, I'm going to bear some fruit. And it looks a lot like work. It looks a lot like must remain today, must remain today, must do this, must say my prayers, must read my Bible, must speak to five people, must invite ten people to church this week. If not, ah, you know, the world's going to end. And that doesn't really ring true for me. Or the other one is that you just look at it and you think, this life's too hard. I can't do this. And you either intentionally or unintentionally detach from the vine. And it's tragedy when those, those things happen Uh, And they reveal things about us. And I just want to look at three uh, things that I would suggest, reasons why uh, we don't abide, reasons why we don't remain. And the first one is, we don't, if if we're in that place, we show that we don't really know who Jesus is. We don't really know who Jesus really is. So all throughout the Old Testament, uh, Hosea, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezra, and plenty of other psalms besides, they identify Israel, the people of God, as the vine. The analogy is used that Israel was the vine. That it was meant to be a place of blessing. The children of Israel were meant to model what it means uh, to live as the kingdom of God, as the ambassadors for the kingdom of God. And it was meant to be a place of blessing, of fruitfulness, of favor, of growth, of nourishment. And they failed. They couldn't live up to uh, the, uh, the mandate that was set before them. As well as the vine, Israel was meant to be the light to the Gentiles, the light to the nations. Uh, 
through the way they conducted themselves, through the way uh, they dealt with other nations, through the way they cared for their poor, through the way they cared uh, for those that were in need. And they blew it. Uh, Leaders rose, leaders fell, they got proud. God humbles the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so Israel was meant to be the vine. And Jesus comes and he says, no, I am the true vine. Israel was meant to be, it could never be. It was actually a prophetic calling towards me, to the one who is to come, the Messiah, that would be the true vine. And he says, that's who I am. And that person is the one that says, come to me if you're thirsty. Come to me if you're hungry. Come to me if you're tired. And I will give you satisfaction. I will give you rest. This is the same Jesus that says to us, remain in me and I will abide in you. When everything is shaking in our lives, when everything is going off, when your insecurities are just whizzing around your head, and you don't know what to do with them, when your life is falling apart, remain in him. Find your identity in him. That is the one, that is the Jesus that we have, the one that says, find your healing in me, find your rest in me, find your security, find your hope, find the anchor for your soul. We have an anchor for our soul that is sure and steadfast, that no matter what's happening, we are set on him. This is the Jesus that we are being invited to remain in. Not a taskmaster, not one that expects us to hit our quota, one that says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The problem with that, that's all well and good, the problem is is that we don't like letting other people be in control of our lives, do we? Maybe you do, I don't. (laughs) I'm not very good at it, I try my best. Why not? It's because we don't trust the person that, we're, that is asking to be in control. If we're being really honest, if we have areas in our lives that Jesus is not in control of, there is one answer to why he's not, and it's because we don't trust him who is asking us to give him control. We're told things. It's not very culturally uh, appropriate, is it, to, say, to suggest that we should actually hand over control of our lives to, to uh, a fairy story or, or however the culture wants to portray it. Um, I would say, to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Creator who knows me better than I know myself. Sounds sensible to me, actually, because I know myself. I know my heart. Culture says, follow your heart. What does your heart tell you? My heart tells me a lot of really bad stuff. And if I follow it, I'm in a lot of trouble. Right? My heart, aside from being surrendered and open to Jesus, is not a good place. Okay? Uh, culture tells us, well, that's true for you, that's not true for me, find your truth. And Jesus says, no, I am the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me, the way, the truth, and the life. And that's the one that is saying, let me pilot you. Let me be the one who is in control of your life. I can be trusted. I am good. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I will not let you down. That's the Jesus that says to us, remain in me. Let me have your life. I promise you, I can be trusted. So that's the first thing. We don't don't know truly the Jesus that asks us, but we also don't really understand who we are. So I said earlier, what's the answer to the question, who am I? 
is, sorry, uh, the question, why am I here? It's a fundamental question. And then the, a closely related one is that, is, is who am I? Why am I here? And, well, who am I? If I understand why I'm here, and who is this person that is meant to walk out this purpose that I have? And the story of Genesis tells us that we, as human beings, are made in the image of God. It's the thing that separates us from the rest of creation. We are made, as human beings, in the image of God. Every single one of you here carries uh, the identity of the God of the universe within you. Whenever we encounter any other human being, we are having an encounter with the creator of the world. We are meant to reflect God. Our lives are meant to reflect him to each other and back to himself. We are made for union with each other and we're made for union with God. Union with God in the garden was the most natural thing. It was just as natural as breathing. It says that Adam and Eve walked with the Lord in the cool of the evening and they knew no shame. They were naked, they didn't know any shame. It was just what they did. It was how it was meant to be. Being a branch attached to the vine is the same. Branches don't think about staying attached to vines, do they? They just are. Branches don't think, I really need to work on bearing fruit. They just do. It's a natural thing as A follows B. A branch stays attached to its vine and draws the goodness and draws the nourishment and draws the strength. So when we abide in Jesus, it means that we are naked before him, just like Adam and Eve were, and we know no shame. And so when we come to Jesus and we don't feel like uh, we, we, can, we can stay here and we say, okay, Jesus, I think I'm understanding what you look like, but we don't understand who we are, that we can come to Jesus and we can reveal everything Our dirty little secrets, the things that you leave outside before you come into church because you're afraid someone might spot that you're not doing, hey, God bless you, you know, those things. Jesus says, no, 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 bring them, bring them, bring them, come, push them into me as Mark uh, prayed earlier. Bring those things to the cross, bring those things to the vine. You push all of that stuff and you say, you put it into the vine and you receive from the vine, my goodness, my nourishment, my life, my strength. There's an exchange that happens there when we understand who we really are and how we're meant to be. We allow all the junk and all the stuff in our lives to, to, to go into the vine because we understand that that's our job, is to be naked. We don't have to know any shame, just to allow him to receive it and to allow him to give it to us. And we start to bear fruit when we do that. We start to bear fruit. But the problem with bearing fruit, it sounds good. You kind of want it to stop there. You're like, oh, yeah, that's good. That's, that's the route to bearing fruit. Oh, I should tweet that. It's good. Um, the route to bearing fruit is, is to know who Jesus is and to know who we are. But verse 2 doesn't let us off that hook. Verse 2 says, well, every branch that bears fruit shall be pruned, great, <laughs> so that it bears more fruit. And the third problem is that we don't like pruning. We don't like pruning. I am many things. Uh, I'm called many things, not always lovely things, but hopefully nice things. However, one thing I most certainly am not is a gardener. Uh, we moved to our house. We live in Toddington, um, just up, the, up north, about 20 minutes. 
I should probably have an accent. I hope no. We bought a house and we had a really big garden. And I looked at it and it died. No, 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 not quite that, not quite that bad. But we have, it's a, it's a wilderness. <laughs> it's a building site at the moment. But in it, there are three beautiful, big rose bushes. And I thought, that's good. I'm not touching that. That's good. Just leave that. That's fine. And it bloomed. They bloomed and they grew and, and they're amazing. You've got red, white, and like a pastel orange. They're stunning. But last year... I got to the point when my kids sort of are coming in and they're picking thorns out of their arms because they've got within 20 feet of the rosebush. I realize it's probably time to maybe try and do a little bit of, of tending to these bushes. Uh, so I spent a long time on YouTube. Uh, then I went for it and I prayed, God, please, please don't let them die. And they didn't, which is good. They looked like they were dead when I was finished with it, but they weren't. Turns out we had a, had a good, uh, um, some great plants this year to enjoy. And pruning is a weird thing. I discovered a lot about pruning in my forays, days spent on YouTube. There's some weird people put up videos about pruning. I don't go there. But a couple of things I noticed is, is one thing is you can have beautiful parts of the plant but they're just not in the right place. They've got to go. And you get these things called suckers, right? Which, um, so you've got the main stem of the plant like that, and you get the branches that go out like that. And then at that point, that sort of junction, you get these little things that sort of shoot out. And they look green and they look healthy, but they've got to go as well because they're actually drawing goodness from the stem that actually needs to get to the branches, and they're actually taking away from it. I think that's right. Feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. It's been a while. I don't ever want to go there again anytime soon. So. But they've got to go. Things that look beautiful have to go. Things that look healthy sometimes have to go. And obviously things that look unhealthy have to go. And it's God's kindness that he prunes us. It really is. And it can feel like a horrible thing when God is speaking when God is sometimes seemingly absent, when God is, is challenging, it can feel painful. But it's actually the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, isn't it? It's a grace that he brings his pruning to us. And the primary way that he brings it is through his word. You know, it says, uh, you are already clean, Jesus told his disciples. Or pruned would actually be a better translation of the word clean there. Because of the word that I have spoken to you. And then in verse 10 he says, well if you keep my commandments, if you keep the words that I've spoken to you, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. So our fruitfulness is inextricably linked to our trust and our obedience of his word. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, I'll just read it to you, 10 to 11 says this, as the rain and the snow Come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word is powerful. God's word is not something that we pick up and put down and play with. God's word has purpose. God's word is like an arrow that gets sent out and it always hits its mark. 
always achieve its purpose. So when God brings his word through his Holy Spirit to prune us, it's so that we can bear even more fruit. It's not, God's not a masochist that just enjoys making our life difficult. That's not the Father. God is not someone that just really, really just is sort of sick of us and just wants us to shape up or ship out. That's not a father. That's not the God that we love and we respond to. God is the tender, careful vine dresser that loves us so much that he attends to us, that he takes out the parts of us, that he brings his word to the parts of us that are not healthy, that are not uh, living up right, that are not in the right place, and he brings uh, his knife to them. And it can be painful, but it is a kindness, God's kindness, that leads us to repentance. Do you know when my life runs smoothest? It's when I choose to accept that maybe me, maybe I, a created being, don't know as much as the creator who knows every single thought that has ever been and will ever be in my head. It's when I choose to hold to his word, it's when I choose to not lie, when I choose to not steal, when I choose to love, when I choose to be patient, when I choose to be kind. Whatever's going on in my life, if that's my MO, as it were, things seem to go well. Things seem to roll in the right direction, even when you hit struggles, even when you hit hard times carried through living under God's word, allowing his word to shape and to form me. Maybe it's the same for you guys. The other day I was praying and uh, I don't know why I was feeling awkward about saying this, like I sound like some holy Joe, but I'm a pastor, I pray, what can I do? I was praying and I was confessing some sin uh, before God in an area of my life and completely out of left field, he challenged me on something else. He said, you've got to stop shouting at your kids when you get angry. That's not okay. And I said, God, have you ever met my kids? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say that. I said, yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, he said, I, I don't get angry with you. I don't shout at you when, when you annoy me. I don't shout, I'm not harsh with you. I will shout at you to get your attention and I will discipline you because I love you. But it's, it's a love. It's not an anger, an impatience, a frustration. And, uh, and that hit me hard. It hit me really hard. But I was like, thank you, God, for that beautiful moment. Thank you for caring enough about me to not leave me. Thank you for caring enough about my kids to not leave them in this situation. Thank you for giving me the humility and the grace to see the kindness of your pruning. And not just think, oh, well, that's a silly thought. How would my kids ever do anything right again if they uh, don't get a good flea in their ear? Pruning sounds painful, but if we trust the God that's doing it, it always yields beauty in our lives. I just want to finish with this. Verse 11 says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. Jesus is saying these things for our joy, that our lives may be lives full of joy. The Word of God says that in God's presence there is fullness of joy. Joy is what he does. 
And joy is a gift to us. And if we humble ourselves and if we respond to God, then ultimately his joy is in us and our joy is full. And the evidence of remaining and abiding in Christ isn't living a perfect, blameless life. You can relax. That's the goal, of course, living the upward call of God in Christ. We want to be becoming more and more like Jesus as we pursue discipleship, as we grow to maturity. And the evidence may sometimes look in certain people's lives like a quiet, steady faithfulness, and that is a gift of God. But actually, for me, that doesn't give me a lot of hope because I just think, oh, I can never be like that guy, and I just give up. I struggle. But to me, it seems that actually the evidence of Christ, of Christ abiding in us and us abiding in Christ is where do you go when the chips are down? Where do you go when you've messed up? Where do you go when your life is a complete car wreck? Where do you go when you've hit bottom? We were reminded last week in Mark's sermon the, where Jesus was cooking breakfast on the beach. Remember Jesus, uh, Peter? He recognized who it was that was on the beach and he ran to Jesus, didn't he? Head down, scooped his cloak up and just ran to Jesus. That's abiding. Peter there carrying all of his shame, all of his guilt, all of his feelings of letting Jesus down, letting the disciples down, misunderstanding, not knowing what's going on. He just sees Jesus and he just runs with all of his rubbish and he just pours himself out at the feet of Jesus. That's the evidence for a life that is lived abiding and remaining in Christ. So wherever you're at with Jesus, maybe you love him. Maybe you don't know if you love him. Maybe you don't trust him. Maybe you downright hate him. Wherever you're at, Psalm 34 tells us to taste and see that he is good. Blessed is the man who hides himself in him. Jesus can be trusted. Jesus is beautiful. He is everything that you have ever wanted. Taste and see that he is good. Abide in him. Let him abide in you and see the fruit that will come. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. God, and for those of us here that that would not agree with that statement, would you reveal yourselves to them? Jesus, we want to know you. God, and you make yourself known abroad throughout the world through your Holy Spirit. And may we be a people that whatever's going on in our lives, that wherever we find ourselves, we would remain in you. You would remain in us. We would abide. We would bear fruit. We would respond to your loving care, the tender pruning that comes, even at cost. Make us a people that humble ourselves under your mighty hand, and at the right time you would raise us up. And we bless you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.